Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Everybody, this is Dr. John with the latest episode of the Evolved Caveman Podcast. And I want to do something a little bit different today. I've got a keynote to give in Las Vegas at the Health 2.0 conference here in a couple of days. And so I wanted to practice my talk on you and see what you think. So let me, let me begin from the top. Hi, I'm Dr. John, and I've worked with men for over 25 years, everyone from CEOs to elite athletes to executives to convicted murderers to every man. And I've thought a lot about what makes men tick and what makes men men. And I wanted to share with you some thoughts on that after 25 years. So my suggestion to you is if you're a man listening to this talk, please do your best to listen with an open mind, a willing heart, and non-judgment. There's no need for shame or guilt around any of this. We are socialized like this. It's not our... We didn't ask to be socialized this way. So you don't have to feel bad about any of it. The idea is to be aware of it so that we can change it or change parts of it that you want. If you're a woman listening to this, please know that I've given this talk to many women and it seems universally to greatly increase the self or the compassion that they have for the men in their lives, just understanding what they had to go through um, growing up as a boy. So the talk today, the man box, the rules of what it means to be a man and how these rules cut men off from true happiness, relationship, and longevity. When I was a boy in middle school, I was 11 years old. And I was small, so I developed a talent for being a smartass and a joker and making people laugh because that was my defense mechanism. And one day I remember we were standing outside in the courtyard. It was recess and it's kind of drizzling outside. And I was, you know, cracking jokes with my group of friends. And at that time, that typically meant you were ripping on each other and you're kind of insulting each other, which is part of the man box culture. And out of the blue, the bully of the school, who was in eighth grade and much bigger than me, walked up to me and punched me in the stomach, sucker punched me. And this completely took me by surprise. So didn't have a chance to tighten my stomach muscles, totally knocked the wind out of me. Uh, and I think more than that, it, it didn't hurt so much as it psychologically just shattered my framework. I, I had a hard time getting my wind back. I started crying, which is the last thing you want to do as a sixth grade boy is cry in front of other boys. And in retrospect, in looking back, it's amazing to me because in that moment, several of my primal world beliefs changed. And the world prior to that point had been a pretty safe place. You could say a playground. And in an instant, it became a more dangerous place. You could say a battleground. In this world, all of a sudden, people were much more likely to hurt me 
And because I had revealed my emotions, I hated my emotions. Uh, if I could, if I had the choice and I could have ripped them out of me and left them in the gutter at that moment or that year, I gladly would have. Mr. Spock was like my idol. All intellect, no emotion. That's what I wanted to be. And that's what most men want to be. And that's a, a little glimpse into how we're socialized as boys. And we grow up in this society that teaches these man box rules. And the rules are, they start in kindergarten, about the age of five, as soon as we get into groups of boys. And they may be taught by your dad, maybe not. They may be taught by your mom, maybe not. We definitely police ourselves as friends and peers. And then we definitely get a lot of influence by social media, um, media, songs, uh, movies, TV shows. I mean, I was listening to the Stray Cats uh, rock this town recently. And there's a perfect man box line in there. It was, uh, look at me once, look at me twice, look at me again, and there's going to be a fight. We're going to rock this town. And that to me has always been kind of the, the pinnacle of man box stupidity. If you look at me, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to physically fight you because you looked at me. And we don't even know the reason why. I mean, maybe the guy liked your clothes. Maybe he liked your shoes. Maybe he thought you were interesting looking. Maybe you looked like an old friend. And you're going to kick his ass. Interesting. Okay, so here's the man box rules. There's something like, and, and if you ask hundreds of boys, of young men, what does it mean to be a man? You get very similar answers, and they sound something like this. Be tough. Be aggressive. Don't back down. Females are less than. Compete. Succeed. Win at all costs. You're only as good as your last achievement. Be self-reliant. Don't ask for help. Do not act feminine. Do not act gay and be stoic. Now, there's some good in here and some bad, and, and you know we can debate that, and that's fine. But I started looking at a lot of these on like a one to 10 scale, a spectrum. So if we look at, for example, self-reliance and think of a one on that scale is completely dependent, a five is kind of balanced, and a 10 is totally self-reliant. So at the one, you're always asking for help. You can't do anything on your own. And at a 10, you don't ask anyone for help. You don't tell anyone your troubles. You don't go to anyone for advice. And you sure as hell never ask for directions. So you can see that on either end of the spectrum, potential problems arise. And one of the big ones I see in a lot of men that are highly self-reliant is they don't ask for help even when they're depressed or anxious and having panic attacks or, I mean, there's all sorts of things that can be inserted there. But not asking for help leads to us dying sooner, among other things. And please note, I'm speaking here about gender. And that has to do with the spectrum that includes everything from highly masculine to highly feminine and everything in between. And that's different than sex, which is the spectrum of male to female. 
And so just realize that in this talk, I'll go back and forth between masculinity and men. So I'm kind of targeting that group. However, you can have masculine, uh, masculine females and feminine males and anywhere in between there too. All right. So the biggest problem with this man box culture, the man box society to me is this idea of be stoic or don't feel. And, and here's my, my hypothesis is that boys from a very young age learn to shut down about two thirds of our emotional spectrum. And one of the main ways that we do it is if you're in a group of friends and one of you shows too much fear or sadness, then typically someone's going to say something like, and, and this doesn't have to happen often. I think, you know, three times, give or take, is enough to, to sear these into our memory. So when boys show too much fear or sadness in front of others, someone will say something like, dude, don't be a bitch. Don't be a little girl. Or the big one, don't be a pussy. Now, there's other insults I can insert in there, but understand that those three are the epitome of the feminine. They are the height of femininity. And the message there is, don't act feminine, that's weak. And I don't think it takes many times of this to get us to go, oh, geez, that, that hurts, that's embarrassing, I don't like that. I'm never showing that again. And in fact, when it comes up in me, I'm just going to suppress it and pretend it's not there. And then we jump back in the man box. Now, on the other side of the man box, on the other side of the spectrum, if you show too much love, joy, excitement, happiness, flamboyance, God forbid, someone will say something like, dude, don't be a fag or stop being so gay. And as always, I apologize for the slurs. I don't mean to condone any of them. And this is what we deal with. And so the message on that side of the spectrum is don't be homosexual. Don't show too much positive emotion because that's gay. That's flamboyant. And again, doesn't take too many times of hearing that before you jump back in the man box and you're like, I'm playing it safe. I am not showing any of this shit ever again. And we lock the mask in place. So that brings up the question, what emotions do males learn that they can safely put out there? Or what emotions can we safely put out there without risk of embarrassment or humiliation? Sorry, I'm just noticing an error in my presentation. Thank you so much for helping me spot that. I really appreciate it. What emotions can they safely demonstrate? Okay, back to the presentation. So, and, and if you guys, if you've been listening to this, you, you know this stuff. Um, so what emotions can men safely show in public? I would say there's three main ones. The first one is stress. Because if I say to you, Bob, I am so stressed out. It implies I'm busy and I'm, I'm important and I'm doing stuff that matters because we only stress about things that matter. Number two, lust. She's so hot, I would do her. Look at that ass in those jeans. It's, that's showing 
what a hyper-masculine guy you are. So that's safe. And it also shows that women are to be used for sex and objectified. Now, I guess I, I could say that if you're showing lust for your partner in a relationship, God be with you. That's fantastic. Please keep doing that. And number three, the big one, the big one is some degree of anger, irritability, frustration, annoyance. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, sorry, that's Jory calling. Hold on. I'm just going to send her a message here. Uh, okay. So irritation, annoyance, frustration, anger, rage, disappointment, irritability. I mean, any degree of anger. So just a little bit about anger. Anger is often, but not always a secondary emotion. So what does it mean? Secondary emotion. That means it can come immediately after anxiety or depression or embarrassment or guilt or shame. Some other emotion precedes it. And then anger quickly covers it up. And when I say quickly, I'm talking about a third of a second or less. So it's really fast. So we know that anger is one of our go-to emotions. It's probably our primary or signature emotion that shows up most often. And you know, I, I consulted on Inside Out with Pixar, and it was all around anger. And one of the things that they got right in that film, if you watch closely, is that each of us, when they go into our minds, has a control panel, right, in the movie. And if you look closely, there's a different emotion at the helm or the middle of the control panel for each character. So, for example, for Riley, the 13-year-old girl, the main emotion in charge was joy. And then it gets screwed up because of puberty and then it's all over the place, which is pretty much like puberty. And the mom, her primary emotion is sadness. And sadness is at the helm. And for the dad, it's anger. And that's true based on neuroscience, that we each have this primary or signature emotion. And again, my hypothesis is that one of the big life goals that we have to face is dealing with the different major negative emotions and kind of processing through them and getting through them so that we can eventually evolve to something like happiness or contentment. So you got to get through anger if that's your primary one, and then sadness, and then anxiety slash fear, and then maybe guilt or shame. And then you get to sadness. Or sorry, you get to happiness, pardon me. All right. So what are some of the common anger dynamics? All right. When we get angry, we get defensive. We want to defend what we were doing. We want to defend it either by getting angry, well, I guess we're already angry, or defend it by explaining what we were thinking or doing. And we never think that we were wrong. So we always externalize blame. It's always your fault. If you would just stop being such a fill in the blank, I would be fine. And that externalization of blame is damning because why should I ever try to become someone new, learn a new skill, learn a new way to communicate if it's always your fault. There's no reason. The other, another point about anger is that it, it is addictive, energizing. It is empowering. You like it. 
We like to be, most people like to be angry in the moment that we're angry. And anger tries to keep itself alive by hijacking your eyeballs and getting you to focus on things in the environment that keep you annoyed. Anger shuts down learning. It shuts down growth. It shuts down curiosity. Curiosity and anger are incompatible. Learning is incompatible with anger. Anger also undermines connection, safety, and respect. And consider that the Google study that came out a few years ago about the most effective teams and their traits, the number one trait of an effective work team was the feeling of psychological safety. And in my mind, there's nothing more that undermines a feeling of safety than any of the degrees of anger. And you can throw in sarcasm, you can throw in duplicity, you can throw in manipulation. All that stuff gets in there and it undermines that feeling of safety. And then let me just touch briefly on trauma because trauma using Faith Harper's definition is any disconnect from a feeling of safety. And that's a low bar for trauma, but keep in mind, we've got big T trauma and little t trauma. And a lot of this stuff happens to boys, which I could say, you know, depending on the individual is easily traumatic. So getting in fights, being called names, being bullied, being purposefully humiliated in front of others, like pulling pants down, um, all the pranks that we do to each other. Those could all be reclassified as little t trauma, or I guess up to big t trauma. And trauma is cumulative. So it accumulates with these little traumas. So I don't know that any of us get through adolescence without some degree of trauma just from growing up in the man box culture. Now, the other important point here is that the anger that is displayed by men so frequently is fueled by major, pardon me, by male depression. Because we become so disconnected from ourselves, for most of us, it results in some degree of depression. Again, think of depression on a one to 10 scale. Now, let me clarify this by quickly comparing depression in females and males. Female depression. A depressed female will blame herself for her problems. She may be sad and tearful. She may be vulnerable and thus easily hurt. She may withdraw. She often will suffer in silence. She maintains control of her anger and she's overwhelmed by her feelings. Now, on the other side, we have male depression. And here's some of the hallmarks of male depression. Depressed men blame other people for their problems. Sounds like anger. They are irritable and impatient. Gee, sounds like anger. Suspicious and guarded. Hmm, angry. They attack when feeling hurt. They overreact, blow their lid, and then feel sorry later. They lose control of their anger, and they the feelings are blunted or numb. And you could also say that that is alexithymia or not having words for emotions. And, and think about that like... When you've got a baby, the baby, all the baby can do is scream and cry to get a message across. And that message could be any number of messages. I'm hungry. I'm tired. My diaper needs changing. Something is, something's paining me. 
and something hurts me. That's what I was looking for. Um, and what do we say to the baby? You know, think, think one year old, use your words, honey, use your words. And there's a reason for that because words are powerful. And to have words to put on an experience gives us a sense of control over the experience. We also know from UCLA studies that just putting the right emotional word onto your experience will decrease the intensity of that emotion. All right, so what is this impact of anger on men's relationship or the impact of man box culture? And one of the key positive psychology findings, which... (laughs) ironically annoyed me when I first found out about it, is that a key source of happiness lies in our relationships. Yet the way we're socialized in this man box not only limits our ability to connect with others, it discourages it. We are not socialized to dip our toe in the water of emotions, of relationship, of communication. I mean, think of, you know, your friends that got mad in high school when you started dating someone. Think of the names you got called. They'll they'll play on masculinity in order to manipulate you to do what they want. So we are not socialized in the direction of relationships due to limited emotional awareness, communication challenges, rampant irritability. And this leads to this current epidemic that we have of lonely and disconnected men. So some quick sobering stats, you can read these, but life expectancy for men, five years less than women. Men are three and a half times more likely to die by suicide. Men are half as likely to seek out mental health care than women. And that's a big problem. Even if they're having panic attacks, like, no, just gut it out, just grind it out. I can deal with this. Um, 43% of men say they have to hide their true selves at work. And this big one, this one blows my mind. 67% of men choose to shock themselves rather than to be alone with their thoughts. If we can't even be alone with our thoughts, how are we going to figure out what the hell we're feeling? So the impact on our relationships. Right now in the US, 75% of divorces are initiated by women, by the wife. And the biggest complaint I've heard in my career is I can't connect with my man. And, and here's the really important part. And I need you to take this to heart. This is not the fault of men. We did not ask to be socialized like this. It just happens. And it happens in countries where we have neighbors that might invade and where natural resources are limited. It's society's way of training us to be soldiers, in my opinion. And I'm not against soldiers. I appreciate the hell out of soldiers. I am all for the military. And I think we all need the ability to shift gears to best meet the situation. So, for example, if you're going to play, I don't know, football, like the man box version of man works well in that situation. That serves you. But if you're going out on date night with a girlfriend or a wife, you need a different gear. You need to be able to communicate. You need to be emotionally vulnerable. You need to be able to label what you're feeling. You need to be able to listen without trying to fix it. 
And then if you, let's say you have a two-year-old daughter who falls and skins her knee, you need a different set of skills for that situation. You need to be quiet and calm and nurturing and reassuring. So the goal in my mind is to learn how to shift gears to best meet the situation. So what do we need to do that? What areas do we need to evolve in to get there? The first area to start with is self-awareness. 95%, according to research, 95% of people think they are highly self-aware. And research by Tasha Yurek has indicated that it's 10 to 15%. That's all. About So 9 out of 10, more than 9 out of 10 people think they're highly self-aware. In truth, it's only about 1 to 1.5 out of 10. We also need to increase emotional granularity. We have to develop a better vocabulary. An old study showed that men can name about eight emotions. Women, it's about 17. Uh, Brene Brown's research has shown that people on average can only name about or identify three emotions in their body. And I think they're you know, happy, sad, mad. We need to make finer distinctions in that. And part of it is what I said earlier, that that helps turn down the volume, but it also helps to give us a sense of control over what's going on. It also helps us to communicate with others. And that's a big deal. Third, give yourself permission to feel. I really like the adage in mindfulness that says, allow whatever is arising to arise without judgment. And the without judgment phrase, man, that'll keep you on your toes for years. It's hard and you're never going to be perfect at it, but it's a goal. Because normally what happens is we feel something like, let's say we get angry and you kick the dog. Then you feel guilty about kicking the dog. Then you feel shame because Maybe you were told that that's what you would do when you were younger. And then you feel sadness. And then you feel angry at yourself for all of it. And you can see where there's this kind of this spiral into negative emotion. And we can also spiral into positive emotions as well. But we got to begin to get comfortable with all of it. We got to begin to get the wording for it and give ourselves permission to accept that what we feel is simply human. Fourth, be quick and easy to laugh and smile. We take ourselves way too seriously. We need to get more comfortable with being embarrassed. We need to be quicker to laugh and smile and connect with people to show them we are safe. And then finally, I think we need to deal with our male depression and ultimately our anger. Male depression, if you have it to some extent, but look at that as a possibility. If you're chronically angry, if your primary, if your signature emotion is anger, depression could be below it. Some tools to try out. Okay, so to begin dismantling anger, ask yourself, what other emotions might be beneath my irritation? What other emotions could be beneath my anger? And remember, it could be anxiety, it could be embarrassment, it could be humiliation, it could be uh, sadness, depression, it could be guilt, it could be shame. I've seen a bunch of different emotions come out in myself and my clients, and anger's fast on the heels of it. 
So ask yourself what other emotions might be underneath my anger. And the one that I have noticed over the years, that's the biggest one for me, because I feel things deeply, I get my feelings hurt more easily. And I've had to work at that. And so the biggest emotion that I've seen, the most frequent emotion underneath anger for me is hurt, as in someone just hurt my feelings. So now I'll ask myself when I start to get annoyed, were my feelings hurt? Did someone just hurt my feelings? Um, anyway, that's my world. Feel free to compare it to your own. Second, look at your world beliefs. And this is research by Jer Clifton at University of Pennsylvania. It's only been out a couple of years, but it's exciting as hell. I think it's going to be foundational. It's going to be a big deal because the beliefs that we hold about these, the world, and he's come up with, what is it? 26 hierarchically arranged dimensions. Things like, to what extent do you believe the world is safe versus dangerous? To what, ex- to what extent do you think the world is alive versus mechanistic? But what we found, what he's found, is that these beliefs seem to underlie and inform our beliefs, our feelings, our thoughts, and our actions. That's a big deal. So if you're looking at your world belief, ask yourself, how do I see the world? Do I see it more as a battleground or more as a playground? And think of these on a one to a hundred scale, again, a spectrum. And you know, to what extent do I see the world as a battleground? Now, again, if I'm in the Ukraine, I'm going to see the world as a battleground. Because that serves me. But I don't live in the Ukraine. I live in California. And it serves me better to see the world as a playground, one that I want to go explore and have fun in. And these primal beliefs also, you can go down different levels of them. So there's world beliefs. And this isn't Jer's research, but my belief, my hypothesis is there's world beliefs, there's beliefs about people in general, and there's beliefs about self. And so You can ask yourself and be curious about your beliefs about the world, and then also ask yourself, what are my beliefs about people in general, humanity as a whole? For instance, to what extent, or on a one to a hundred scale, what would you say, what number would you put on the scale between people are untrustworthy and people can be trusted? And I had a client put 20% on that scale. So he believed that 80 out of 100 people could not be trusted. And my question to him is, how's that working for you? You know, what kind of world is that to live in? Because we live in the same world, but these beliefs inform, these beliefs alone create a different world for us to occupy. And, And I do think there's billions of realities out there. And this is one of the reasons why. Because if I'm living in a world where I think 90% of the people are trustworthy and kind and generous and would help me if asked, and he's living in a world where 20% would do that, that world's a lot darker and scarier. And then beliefs around self, you know, I'm an idiot, I'm a loser, I can't do that, those kind of things. So another level to just be curious about. Uh, Third, ask yourself several times a day, what am I feeling right now? What do I feel right now? And, and the purpose for that is you just want to pause and ask the question. And here's the beautiful part. The answer does not matter. Now, it'd be great if you can kind of increase your emotional granularity there. But in the research, they found that the answer doesn't matter. 
And what it's doing is it's increasing metacognition, which is thinking about thinking. So you can look down at yourself and say, huh, what am I feeling right now? And you observe yourself. And so just doing that three times a day builds this really powerful skill of metacognition, a skill that is found to be common among all leaders. And then finally, I want to, I really want to urge you, maybe challenge you to choose to be curious, to choose to be courageous. And courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is overcoming your fear. So feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And I want you to be open, choose to be open to learning more about your internal landscape, your landscape of thought and emotion. And there was a quote a while back, I think it was Anais Nin, who said, my mind is like a scary neighborhood that I don't want to go to alone. And so I get it. I understand. It's scary. 67% of us would rather shock ourselves than be in that neighborhood. So you've got to choose to be curious and choose to be brave. So finally, let me end with another brief story, one of my favorites. So about 20 years ago, I was given a presentation at a continuation high school, and I would go there once a month, and the kids seemed to like what I was saying. And these were kids that had failed out of traditional high school for any number of reasons, pregnancy, drugs, ADHD, depression, whatever. And I remember going to the school and the principal greeted me and she started explaining to me that there was a new student in the school and the school's about a hundred students. And I was like, why are you? And internally I was wondering why she was sharing this with me because I've got a, I'm walking to present. So I'm kind of trying to think of what I'm going to say. And she says, yeah, we got a new student. She's African-American. She's 16. She's been bounced from group home to group home. Uh, she comes from 45 minutes away and no one's been able to touch her. Like, She's so angry that no one can get through to her. And I was like, okay, you know, thanks for telling me. So I get into the room with all the students and I start to roll into my presentation. I think this one was about positive psychology and positive emotions. And two sentences in to my talk, this young black girl stands up and says, I got a question for you. I'm black. I'm female. I'm young. I don't have a family. I live in a group home. I'm poor. Why should I listen to anything you have to say? And in the back of my mind, I thought, that's what the principal was trying to tell me. And so I thought as fast as I possibly could. And I knew that if I challenged her, I'd lose her. So I agreed with her. And I said, thank you for your question. You know what? You're absolutely right. I'm, I'm white, I'm bald, I'm middle-aged, I have a family. So on those levels, we are different. And on those levels, perhaps you should not listen to me. And here's what I can tell you, that every emotion you've ever experienced in your life, from rage to love to sadness, to despair, to anxiety, to panic, to guilt and shame, everything you've ever felt, I've felt too. And I've been studying these emotions for about 20 years. And I'm going to share some tools with you today that you can put to use, try them out. They're free. If they don't work for you, not a big deal. You've lost nothing. If they work for you, maybe you get a little bit happier. And with that, I rolled into my presentation. 
And I don't know what happened. I, I don't know if it was that. I don't know if you know, there's great teachers there, there's a great principal there at that school, but something changed in this young lady where she started to come to school willingly. She started to put forth effort in class. She started to get her grades up. Within six months, she had joined student leadership, student council. At the end of a year and a half, she was the commencement speaker at graduation. Nobody thought she would go to high school. She ended up going to Sac State. So I tell you that story to let you know that it's not about proving how you are unique or special or different. It's about finding ways to build bridges, to connect, to discover how we are similar across gender, sex, race, and or culture. And and part of it's about giving yourself space for the many paradoxes you contain. Things like, I am unique, and yet I'm the same as everyone else. I'm part of a tribe, and yet I'm an individual. I am self-reliant, and I'm dependent on others. I need certainty, and I crave novelty. I need commitment. I need freedom. I need to know. I need not to know. I'm a man. I feel. (laughs) So the height of psychological maturity can be thought of as the ability to hold multiple, often competing feelings, beliefs, and or thoughts about any one person or situation simultaneously. So to bring this full circle, We men need to evolve beyond the man box because financial success alone is not enough. I've seen too many men worth too much money that are miserable. We need to aim for success and happiness. And that, ladies and gentlemen, requires greater self-awareness, emotional granularity, dealing with our uncomfortable emotions, and heroically stepping in to that scary neighborhood. Thank you so much. all right well let me know what you think leave a comment please like rate review share with your friends if you liked it if you didn't like it you don't need to do a damn thing and that's it for this episode of the evolved caveman thanks so much for listening i really appreciate it bye-bye Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 